Hello everyone, this is Jacob Popio, the producer of The Apex. In this episode, Jan and RJ interview Serena Draper-Hendershot. Serena is the Director of Outreach at the Martin Center, a nonprofit organization at the southeast side of Canton, Ohio, dedicated to collaborating with as many community partners as possible to change Canton for the better. In this episode, Serena dives into her journey from high school to becoming the director of the Martin Center. Along the way, she experienced a change in major, multiple deaths in her family, and an ex-boyfriend that was shot and killed all within a span of six months. After those six months, she experienced days where she wished she wasn't even here. But it all changed when she asked a 14-year-old boy, What do you want to be when you grow up? And he told her, I'm not even going to make it to 18, so why does it matter? If you want to support Serena and her mission, reach out here at hendershots at rivertreechristian.com. If you want to support us, there are three ways to do so. One is to donate to our cause at www.patreon.com backslash the Apex podcast. Second, visit our merch line that is proudly partnered with Envision Clothing Company at envisionclothingcompany.com. The final one is completely free. All we ask is if you learn something from this episode or know someone that needs to hear our message, share it with them. Please subscribe and hope this pushes you toward your Apex. Welcome, Apex Chasers, to another episode of the Apex Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jan Almasi, and seated across the county from me is my co-host and partner in quarantine, Mr. R.J. <laughs> Holiday. What's going on, everybody? Glad to be back. Um... Hopefully we're here at the, what would you say, the tail end of this uh, stay-at-home order? Maybe, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. I would. I would. The tail end is kind of an appropriate thing. I would go with that. I mean, what barbershop? I think I just read that barbershops, um, hair salons, stuff like that is opening up on the fifteenth. I think. Ooh. I know doctors' offices and stuff like that opened up this week on Monday. So hopefully stuff starts rolling out. Hopefully the gym comes back. Please, God. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be going insane. I, well, dude, I was thinking about this the other day. I It is going to be like, you know how everybody every year complains about New Year's being like horrible for the gym. Mm-hmm. Like I'm picturing between barbershops, salons and gyms. It's going to be like I'm see, I'm more afraid of that being the apocalypse than I am of the actual apocalypse being the apocalypse. That's the that's the thing that I'm unsure on with the gyms is people come back in New Year's because of all the holiday eating. We're talking mm. Halloween through Christmas. Right. People have been quarantined the last few months with nothing better to do but do prison workouts at home. <laughs> <laughs> so my my thought process on that is maybe the gyms will definitely be more flooded than what they usually are but there might be a significant number of people that are like well what do i need to go to the gym for i'm making results i'm getting to where i want to be i'm just eating healthier i'm running around the neighborhood i'm doing workouts at home i mean christ Mm -hmm. i saw some people who bought home gyms for this like drop thirty seven hundred dollars to make a home gym because they were so paranoid about not having the gym open. Well, I ain't dumping that kind of cash just to go back to the gym <laughs> when it opens back up. I'm parking my ass in the basement. Right. So right. I, I'm unsure how that'll be. It'll definitely be busy, but it'll just be nice to, you know, go, I guess yeah. is what well, I'm looking forward to. I agree. 100%. I think one of the biggest things that I'm looking forward to is that is community. I mean, 
coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to interact with people and you know that's I, my social experience. I've realized during this quarantine that I am <laughs> most definitely extremely comfortable being alone. And I love like the introverted side of life. However, there is definitely a point where I wish that I could go um, and have a brew and, and just talk about life with people. Um, and actually, uh, we have the privilege today, RJ, of actually having a guest with us. There's a third person on this call. Dun, dun, right? dun. Dun, dun, dun. And today we are going to have the privilege of talking to um, the outreach director of the Martin Center on Third Street in downtown Canton. Um, she's been doing some phenomenal work. Um, I personally went down um, one of the first days that they were doing a food drive um, and handing out packing food for um, people that, that were affected by COVID-19. Um, and with that, I would like to welcome Miss Serena Draper-Hendershot to the show. Serena, welcome to the podcast. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. No problem. So, um, like I mentioned, uh, you're the di outreach director of the Martin Center. Why don't we talk a little bit about what that um, job kind of entails, and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes of the show. Yeah, so um, like Jan said, I am the outreach director, um, and what that role consists of is me really just bringing equitable resources to the southeast side of Canton. Um, and so if you know anything about the southeast side of Canton, um, it is very impoverished area. It's a very vulnerable area of Stark County. And so one of our ideas is really just bringing um, resources within the health field, resources within the education field, and resources within the um, housing field. And so for me, um, I have the pleasure of working with community partners um, to really bring those resources on um, for our youth and the residents surrounding the center. Yeah, that's awesome. And and nice. I got to say, nice. like, when I went down to go visit, um, you know, the the building itself from the from the outside looking in is, you know, it's it's a different vibe when you actually get into the building. Um, you know, you kind of pull up. It's in the pseudo like warehouse district that the southeast side used to be. Um, and you go in and the amount of stuff that was like preserved from the fact that it was an old school um, and everything, all the classrooms and the gym that was built out in there, even though we couldn't get the lights to turn on, you still get the vibe, you know, of being inside of that gym is just, it's a phenomenal facility. And I definitely want more people to know that it's there, um, and available, especially to that population there on the Southeast side. So I definitely commend you for your work down there. Um, and appreciate the fact that you're putting so much effort into that facility. Thank you so much for having me and being so supportive of it. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, so why don't we just start like with every guest? We're always extremely curious um, about where you started out and how you got to where you are. You know, the apex really started um, as an outreach to high school kids um, that were going through a difficult time. And that's kind of where we always like to rewind to. So why don't we go back to, um, you know, where you were born and raised and, and where you went to school? You can start wherever you like. OK, um, so I was technically born in Canton. Um, and I grew up um, in the southeast side, actually. So um, in Highland Park, um, also known as HP, as most people will call it. Um, and so I was there until I was about eight years old until my family actually took me over to Alliance. And so I grew up in Alliance um, and I went to Marlington High School Um and so if you know anything about Marlington, um, we're out in the boondocks um, and 
it's like a very like country country school and so anytime I tell anyone that I'm from Marlington I just get this like shocked face like you went to Marlington yes <laughs> I went to Marlington <laughs> um oh man I kind of get the uh when you say out in the boondocks kind of thing I, I Canton South for me um was kind of that like we were like the in-betweeners it was like we were like yep. half and half. we were like half boondocks and then half inner city dropouts it was just like this conglomeration. You go any further south, you're into like Sandy Valley and Tusky Valley, and that's just like straight redneckery. Um, <laughs> and then RJ RJ went to Jackson, so he's he's in a different boat. Yeah, I I can't relate. <laughs> no, there's not a whole lot of redneckery that was going on there. People were crashing their Lamborghinis in the parking lot. Oh no, there was. There were posers. There were kids who were like, my parents gave me all this money to buy a lifted truck, so I'm going to park two of the tires up on the curve like a jackass. But other than that, there was no – I was like, that's a sweet truck you have. What do you tow in it? <laughs> uh, uh, my friends to our rave parties that we throw in our basement, I go, then you don't need a truck. Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile <laughs> me and Serena are hauling around bales of hay. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. driving so tractors no. to school. There are yeah. people you who guys had a drive to track a to the school day too? No, Aww. everyone assumed we did, but maybe we did. I honestly don't remember. Obviously, I ain't driving no tractor, but <laughs> um, there's probably other people that actually did. Take yeah. a John Deere to school day. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you went to Marlington and then um, – were you involved in any athletics or anything when you're in high school? Yeah, I actually was. I used to play basketball and a lot of people are shocked by that because of my stature. I am very small. Um, I used to play basketball, only played for um, about two years. And then um, I stopped playing once I started taking vocational class at um, Alliance High School, actually. So I was taking vocational classes, doing the, you know, the sports medicine program that high school students are able to do um, while getting like college credit. Mm. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I think yeah. um, RJ, did you did you do anything like that in high school, or did you not get into the sports medicine and stuff like that until you got to college? No, I that was that was college. So in high school, I was still wrestling, um, and hoped to keep wrestling and whatnot. And I got very big into um computer programming Mm. actually funny enough we had i forget it's not i did post-secondary but there was something else that you could get college credits by going to other high schools i actually went and checked out their recording uh radio broadcast courses Mm, at north canton and i let my aunt talk me out of it because she's like radio's dying you'll never need to know any of that (laughs) So now I'm I'm kind of upset about that because my mom my mom always told me she was like you have a very good radio voice and you should try this if this is really what you want to do. So I ended up not doing that and I opted into computer programming and I did post secondary at Kent State Kent State Stark for that and then graduated with college credits in you know C plus plus and C sharp and Java and all all the other type of stuff and then. As I started competing, that's when I got into exercise science and all that. It wasn't gotcha. it, there wasn't anything really um, piquing that interest uh, at Jackson. We had like wood shop and automotive, <laughs> and I wanted nothing to do with either of those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so did you? Was that your like junior and senior year then, Serena? That you spent it? Yeah, junior and senior year, half a day was at Alliance High School, and half was at my home school with um, Marlington. Gotcha. What was that? What was that dynamic like being somebody that was a 
essentially a, a member of two different school communities. Oh, I feel like that was hard. Like, I feel like during that time, I actually lost a lot of my friends um, because, like, I mean, I'm not seeing most of them. I, like, had to take classes with, like, juniors when I was a senior um, because I couldn't take the one junior class when I was a junior. Um, But then also at the same time, like, the good part about it was just – you know, just like building that respect for an, another like community that was technically our rival. Um, and so like just having a respect for them and what they did for their school. Um, I actually, what's funny is that my first job out of college was actually working at Alliance High School. Hmm. And a lot of like some of the teachers remembered me um, going there half a day. So it was, it was, it was a weird experience, um, but I definitely enjoyed it, I would say. Um, more than I did at the time, you know, like reflecting back on it um, to be able to like experience two different high schools at the same time. A lot of kids don't do that. Right. Losing losing friends I can attest to as well, because my June, I don't can't remember if it was my junior and senior or just my junior or senior year or whatever, but going to do the classes over at Stark, Stark state and whatnot. um, The, uh, I only had to go back to Jackson for one class a day for the whole year. So half the year it was government. The other half of the year was economics. So come graduation from high school, there are people in my grade that were like, you still go here? I was like, yeah. yeah. I was like, I've just been at college. They're like, we thought you like, we haven't seen you for like a whole year. We didn't even know that you still went here or whatever. I'm like, no, I didn't mean, unless you're in my government and economics class, uh, you would have never have seen me because I was show up in the morning, take that class. And then I got the hell out of Dodge, right. went to yeah. class till noon. And then I was done. <laughs> now, before we move on to the next step, you know, with the college experience and, and really the bulk of, of, of kind of what I wanted to discuss and get out there to the listeners. Um, you know, if there's, we do have some listeners that are in that high school demographic. So since both of you guys kind of experienced that, you know, that's not something that I can relate to. I can relate to being the awkward homeschool kid. Um, but the, that dynamic of being that person, um, it's going between both schools, potentially losing friends and everything like that. Now that you have the ability to look back at it in 2020, if you could give a kid that's about to go through that process, some advice or some words of wisdom, what would they be? Like, what do you wish that you would have known or realized? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, one of the things that, I feel like I kind of just take with me everywhere. It's like really utilizing the teachers that like you have on both sides, you know, like um, because eventually you're going to graduate and those they might be um, connected to a network that you don't even know exists that's out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like just the change in the friends, um, just be willing to like embrace all opportunities that are thrown your way. Um, when I was in high school, I was not really involved. Like, yes, I did that sports medicine class. Um, but one of the things that really changed my mindset in high school was that end of the year, like ceremony that all seniors have to go to when like everyone's like getting awards and everyone's getting like certificates and stuff. And I remember only getting like three and then a few of my friends getting like 15 to 17 awards. And I was like, 
dang, I really was not involved at all. Like I didn't do anything. And so it wasn't until I got to college where I was just like, I kind of want the opposite. Like I want to be very involved, um, not to get awards or like be seen or anything, but like I saw how much it changed them and like just the relationships they were building with like the teachers and the administration um, just from being involved in those different activities. So definitely just taking um, advantage of as many opportunities as possible and connecting with um, the leaders that are in your pathway. Mm, I love that. RJ, you got anything that can top that? And mine's not, mine's not as profound. I was going to say, yeah, good luck. She's, the, she's one of the most prolific speakers. I did, I did post-secondary slightly later than what I could have, because I think you can do post-secondary or any of those type of um, classes at other schools that you get college credits for and whatnot. I think it, it, when I was in high school, it was sophomore year was the first year you're applicable to be able to go and do that. It might be. Sounds even, about right. It might even be sooner now. I'm I'm not sure. But when I was told about college and post-secondary and all that, you're always made to feel that you should know what you want to go there and do. So I went for computer programming. I eventually, once I graduated, switched to uh, law enforcement, uh, then switched to exercise science and then, you know, sport management from there and a whole, bu- whole bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. What I would tell younger me or anybody else going into that, if you have the opportunity and your willingness to go and do post-secondary and kind of move away from your friends in, in an advancement in your own personal career and education, do as many of the general education classes as you possibly can while your high school is still willing to pay for you to do it. Because now, I mean, I have I have extensive knowledge that I put to zero use about computer programming unless I'm talking to other computer programmers. And who knows if it'll come back up. But instead of taking all those computer programming classes, I could have gotten five or six more general education classes done. So Mm -hmm. if you Mm -hmm. if you do it, which this is what I'm pretty sure my sister's boyfriend did, he basically got had all of his general education classes done before he graduated high school. Yeah. Yeah. And they were all paid for. Well, me, I'm taking classes thinking, well, I want to do this that now equate to me just, you know, uh, a loss in <laughs> a loss in money when the general education classes are mandatory one way or another, whether it's a passion of yours or not. So that would be, that would be my advice to younger me. Yeah. I, I, I would, I would like to add to that. One more thing, because I feel like I didn't mention it. One of the things that I noticed is that a lot of um, high school students um, who are kind of thinking about those career tech classes, they end up not going into them because ideally it's not what they want to do in the future. Um, But like um, RJ was just saying, I think it's going to be very important for you to like, just kind of explore any opportunity. Mm -hmm. If you know that there's a career tech class that you're kind of interested in, definitely just do it because it's just good to have those skills, whether you're going to do that in the future or not. Um, And I say that as I vouch for a lot of career tech programs, because that was my first job after college is working with high school students in the career tech classes because I could relate to them. Like I've been through it already and I've seen a lot of students regret not taking those classes. Yep. Um, yep. 
for their future, you know? Yeah. And if nothing more, I mean, even if you take the career tech class and it's not what you end up doing as a long-term career, if you have it as a buffer and like, I know people that took the phlebotomy courses, they were a phlebotomist while they were in nursing school. And now they're some of the best IV nurses that I know. And, you know, even if we even expand that beyond just the career tech classes, I'm a nurse that does podcasting and marketing communications. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you have no idea where your life is going to end up. And the more that RJ keeps talking about how he's not putting computer science and coding to use, I'm going to find a way for you to put that to use. <laughs> <laughs> I have to bust out the old textbooks. Yeah. Um, so now, now that we've kind of, we, we've narrowed that down and, and, and given some really solid advice to those high school students. Um, now, everybody that's listening to this, at least in the Canton area, is going to know that uh, we're both Walsh alumni. Hashtag what's up. Um, but, yeah, here we go. P people aren't going to be able to see that, but I'll, <laughs> I'll always hold that in my heart. Um, so was was that a linear decision for you? Because um, I know for me, like my family had gone to Walsh University and everything else, but I your uh, your story is a little bit different as far as how you selected Walsh. Yeah, Walsh was not even in my radar, to be honest. Um, I was trying to go to the military right after high school. Um, I was actually signed up to go to, to the Marines, um, but I was only 17 years old when I was about to graduate, and my parents were not about to sign off on it. Um, you know, like your parents want you to have a better education than they had, and so that was the push, and that was always the narrative for me. And so eventually... Like, I'm telling you, last minute um, when the due date hit, I put in my deposit for housing at Walsh. And one of the reasons I really chose Walsh is because I was going for nursing. Um, Walsh had the best nursing program in the area. Um, and I'm not going to lie. Um, Malone was also on my radar. But then when I found out that um, they required you to go to chapel, I was like, if I want to be forced to go to a church service, yeah. although I am strong in my faith, I don't want to be forced to go, you know, um, I'm not Catholic or anything, but just the fact that Walsh was a faith-based institution, um, definitely caught my eye. Um, and, and I, I think that Walsh does a great job of balancing being a faith-based institution without being too impositional about it. Uh, yes. Like they encourage it. They're very open about it, but they're not dictatorial when it comes. No, to that. no, not at all. Definitely can agree to that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's how I got to Walsh for the most part. It was one of those. It's not too far from home, but it's close enough to home for me to um, still feel like I got my freedom, you know. Mm -hmm. So. So you started you actually started out in nursing, huh? I did. How did, how did that oh, man. Yeah. Anatomy. Anatomy was not my friend. Um, I failed it the first semester, um, took it the second semester, passed with a B plus. But then when I took that lab again, it was just the same grade over and over. So I was just like, I think I should just change it up. I really went into I really went into nursing because my mom was in the medical field. My sister was in the medical field. I did the sports medicine class in high school. And I just had a very narrow mind of like the future careers, you know, like I'm sure you guys can attest like when you were in high school, you just didn't really know all the things that were out there. Like, did you know you're going to be hosting a podcast? Like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've known this was my future. 
I had a little old lady read my fortune when I was three, and she told me this was all going to happen. <laughs> I've been prepared for years. Oh, my God. So, yeah, um, I was. it was very narrow-minded for me. So that's why I went into nursing. Um, and obviously, the classes weren't for me. Um, you have to have a lot of discipline with nursing. And when I went into college, I just did not have the discipline. I had the mindset of, you know, college is partying and the social life. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I had to learn. I had to learn very quickly. Oh, it is a um, freshman year is a harsh teacher when it comes to that because man. I Alexis third floor, baby. Like I, I vividly yep. vividly remember the shenanigans um that happened freshman year. And I look back and I'm like, how in the world did I pass? Um I was actually when I was in my my tower interview, um, I talked about that. I was like, my freshman mm-hmm. year was an absolute crap show. Um, and Walsh really gave me the opportunity through the teachers and everything else to kind of flip that around. And if it weren't for those, like, like you said, taking advantage of those teachers and the professors and the people Mm -hmm. who invest in you, I would definitely not be where I'm at. So it's a, uh, um, two things that I want to make sure that I hit home with people out of that phrase, out of that storyline that we're at so far is that a, um, it's perfectly okay to fail. Right. Because you're Mm -hmm. a successful person. You're the director of outreach at an awesome organization um, and failing a class did not dictate your future. That's the first thing, because I think that there's a lot of people that stress out about that kind of stuff, especially in school. Um, And then the second thing is, is that just because you had a off track year or you were focused on social life or you had your priorities in the wrong place does not mean that you can't refocus, regroup and still kick ass. So agreed, agreed entirely. So um, we'll continue just on that on that path. So freshman year is a little bit uh, oaky. Um, you had just failed the anatomy courses and stuff like that. So how did we end up pivoting that? Anatomy was hard as shit. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Ex- Man. Especially at Akron, because the human anatomy and physiology classes, they're like, oh, yeah, this is the hardest class. And. Being so, we're just going to use this as a weeder course. They're like, we're going to sit you in an auditorium with 300 kids where you can barely see the instructor who, by the way, isn't using a laptop, but is still using a projector with the reverse scans and shining it up there. Oh my my blind ass can't see from the 300th row. I go, what do you want? And you can't hear them. Oh, man. That's, yeah. That's so, so funny. Those are, uh, I know I can count. I can't count between my hands and my feet, how many people I know failed anatomy at least once or twice. Well, mm-hmm. uh, if you mm-hmm. if you want small uh, interpersonal class sizes and a higher quality of education, we'll go ahead and uh, plug the Walsh University there. You're not stuck in a classroom with 300 people trying to hear a professor, but just subtle, subtle jabs. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So, um, well, yes, you... you was that what pushed you out of nursing was the anatomy courses? Um, the anatomy courses. But I mean, to be honest, I had a lot of things going on in my life at the same time. Right. Like I got into my second year of college um, where my aunt had actually got sick. And then um, for nursing, not that I was like in clinicals yet, but you do have to do like observation as you're in like the anatomy classes and stuff. And so we were required to go to a nursing home. And of course I went to a hospice nursing home. And so like with my aunt being sick, I'm like 19 years old at the time. Like 
obviously I'm processing a lot of emotions right now because we were going to the hospital all the time when my aunt was sick. And so to like go and do like observation at another place where people are um, about to pass away, I was just processing a lot. Um, And so I ended up making that decision out of that but then also not really having the focus of the discipline to pass the classes either. Um, that, that was a rough time for me. Like my aunt is the one who raised me um, um, back in Alliance. Um, and so to like not have her guidance um, to really like help me through that and her like going through a very life-changing experience, man, it was, it was a rough time for me. So that was the ultimate decision. Um, for me changing from nursing. And to, to my last point as well. Um, I believe in most college courses, the human anatomy and physiology class are made excruciatingly difficult for people who are in their first year or second year of college as Mm -hmm. the purpose to divert them from those career paths that are past that they're like, I've taken, I took some classes in my senior year at Akron that were way easier than the classes that get into those. And I'm like, why is that? And then as you look back at the structure stuff, you're like, they're doing this on purpose. They're like, they don't want Mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of kids all in the nursing program at the same time. They just couldn't funnel them through. It would be, it would be impossible. Exactly. And then with with that writing on your shoulders as well, because believe me, Going through part in that too. There was a part one and a part two. It's like, yes, I passed human anatomy and physiology part one, which was absolute torment. <laughs> and then it's like, oh yeah, by the way, part two, if you believe in the seven levels of hell, if one being part one, then two is part seven. You're like, oh God, it was yeah, so bad. Yeah. But um, nope, I agree entirely. So with, with them weeding you out and then having, you know, I, Anybody who I think is listening to this show knows that family means a lot to me and I have a b- very big family and we over the years we've gone through our own trials and tribulations and school and stuff that you're concentrating on like that is never easy when there's turmoil on on the back end. Um, no, you, not at all. You, you got to be there for yourself day in and day out but then you also want to be there for everybody else in your family and it, it splits you. It tears you apart. Mm-hmm. So sticking to it and then obviously you you have the mindset of, well, this is what I want to do. I want to go into nursing and I want to do this and then have to sit there and make the decision to, to walk away with it to better yourself is never an easy one. It wasn't at all. I think, and I guess I didn't really add this, that I was actually taking a history class. Um, it was African-American history actually at Walsh. And it was in that class where like that class was not a mandatory class. It was just an elective. And obviously um, as an African-American woman, um, I was, I was very intrigued to take it. And after taking it, my mind was just blown um, about the reality of the things that um, have happened um, to people who look like me. And then I was also taking Cause I think we all had to take like a government foreign affairs class or something yeah. like that. And so I had to take that too. And so to realize that like policies and practices were actually put in place, I was just really mind blown. And I mean, as you guys know, I just said, I went to Marlington. So a lot of that stuff was not taught to me. Um, yeah. So to like 
be in classes like that and then to be going through like me not really knowing if I want to do nursing, that kind of hit a light bulb too. And so that's when I was like, maybe I'll just go undecided. But then I was like, but this is really like intriguing me. Um, So I ended up just declaring as a political science major and a history major once I kind of made that shift, um, just because of taking those two classes um, and having like discussion based, like um, discussion based classes, because I realized that I'm a talker, like, and I love that. And so when you're sitting in class um, as a nursing major and all you're actually hearing is just the professor lecturing, I was like, I don't like that. I like classes where the professor is actually engaging us and we're having a conversation and they're asking thought provoking questions for us. So um, that's what really made me make that shift as well. I agree. Couldn't couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, I think that the um, the nursing courses, especially, I mean, um, just being somebody that's been through the ringer uh, at, at Walsh as far as the nursing program goes, um, they, those courses are there. They make you think on a completely different playing field. Like most of that, the the way that they make you think isn't in the classroom. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not the um, thought provoking questions. I mean, we have to take like bioethics and we have to take human psychology and other stuff like that. Um, and I have a psych minor, so I know what it's like to be in a classroom where they, those discussions are happening, but where nursing really pushes you is it's, you know, here's a list of five correct answers. You need to try to pick the answer. That's the most correct answer. You know, here, I hate those questions. Here's, here's, Get a, out of here. Yeah, here's a list of interventions. Um, which one <laughs> would you do first in this situation? And, and they mm-hmm. push you on the outside of the classroom with, med sheets care plans patient interaction like all of this stuff that you have to try to teach yourself or what they really advocate for and what i love about walsh is they create these communities for you to teach each other and Mm -hmm. and that was the biggest learning thing for me um because once you get into the clinical setting it's a completely different ball game yeah yeah it is a completely different world i remember like being freaked out to go to the nursing home for the first time, just to have a conversation with an old man that wasn't even really sick because mm. that was how, that's how far back they start teaching you is literally yeah, yeah. how do you have a conversation with a patient? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. by the end, you're you know doing chest compressions <clears throat> and trying to make sure that someone doesn't kick the bucket on you. But yeah. And I, after going through two years of like being with other nursing students and then seeing that they actually got through the program, man, I have a new found like appreciation for you guys. Um, and then also like I have a daughter, so I obviously was in the hospital with a lot of nurses and man, just the care and the attention, um, the personality, you don't have the personality for it. It's, it's just not, it's not something that you should be in, but I've had so many great nurses that I like, it's still a new, it's a, it's a profession that I will always appreciate. Yeah. Always. And I feel the exact same way about the business world, the political science and, and to reverse that. Now that I'm in the business world and, you know, being an entrepreneur and dealing with people, holy, like, if I ever made fun of a political science major, a business major, an accounting major, anybody in college, because they were able to go out and have a little bit of fun because we were stressed out with 1500, you know, class loads and clinicals and everything else. 
I take it all back. This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, yeah, like navigating the business world, the like personalities and dealing with people and, you know, all of the different systems that are in place. Totally newfound respect. And I'm glad that that mutual respect is there across job professions. Um, so you, you got into political science and you started walking down that path. Do you um, and, and the biggest thing is, is that there were all of these things that were happening throughout your college journey. Right. And, and I really want to just kind of let you have this free range to explain your college journey. Um, mm -hmm. because I think that, you know, like I said before, when we had that previous conversation, it was just the, the way that you are able to convey all of the different highs and lows that happened throughout your college career, I think are exactly what people need to be able to hear and understand because mm -hmm. they already know that where your end point is, but that was an extremely rocky journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so why don't we just kind of, you can explain that however you like. Yeah, for sure. So, so we're in sophomore year of me changing my major and obviously I'm going through it because my aunt's sick. And so, I mean, as a 19 year old who's processing these emotions, like it's so, it's so hard to like really gather what is actually going on in your life. And so that January of 2015, I actually swore into the Army National Guard. Um, and one of the biggest reasons was I still had this, I need to do something bigger than myself. Um, I'm just in North Canton, Ohio, going to school, partying most days, trying to study some days. Like I still need to do something bigger than myself. And so um, I signed up for the National Guard. And one of the biggest reasons for that is that although um, I didn't really want to go to school at first, I did have a newfound um, appreciation for um, college in general, just because of the classes and the professors that um, I was getting to build a relationship with. And so after talking to a good friend of mine who was a sergeant in the army, um, he was telling me how you can go to school and you can be um, um, in the service. And so I left for the service that July of 2015. And I was gone for nine weeks for basic training and then another um, nine weeks for my AIT training down in Fort Jackson. Um, and in that time period, I'm 20 at this time. And so going into the army um, in the summer, mind you, you're going in with a bunch of 18 year olds. Um, oh I just graduated from high school. And although I'm 20, like I still just experienced the world for at least two years. So I'm a little bit more mature than them. So that was a, that was an experience in itself to be around younger people and to see how immature I once was, you know? Um, but I, the army is a whole nother world, man. Um, I haven't, I have an appreciation for just the way you can bring people from so many different backgrounds together and, and to just be able to complete one mission, you know, and um, I have a really close relationship with a lot of my battle buddies um, that I will never, that I will like never forget. Like they are just, um, they're some awesome people. Like I met um, my one battle buddy, she was from the Philippines. Another one was from California. Um, there were two from Texas. Um, another one from Puerto Rico. Um, yeah, I just had them. They were all over the place. And like 
just to think that if I wouldn't have been in the um, right place at the right time, like I wouldn't have been able to connect with those kind of people because, um, you know, a lot of us are used to just being around the same kind of people all the time. And so that really made me appreciate people from different cultures and people from different backgrounds. Um, So I got back home. uh, Obviously that, I think it was like that December because that was about six months I was gone. Um, and knowing that I was going back to Walsh that next semester, um, it was really hard at that time, to be honest, because I had so many people doubting me that I wasn't going to go back to college. Like I even had, um, someone tell me that, um, they would be very surprised if I end back up at college because a lot of people who take a semester off, they usually don't end up coming back. Um, but I knew I was going to be a first generation grad and I like knew that I needed to do something different than a lot of people um, were doing that I was surrounded by. So January of 2016, I got back and one of like this was a pivotal moment for me because my aunt actually couldn't come to my graduation um, from the military. And so just the reality that I'm kind of on my own kind of hit me like I'm kind of doing life by myself um, hit me. And so it really like caused me to like think like, man, I kind of got to make some changes in my life. So once I got back to um, Walsh that January, I was living on campus again. Um, There was a lot of things I was just like, okay, I've established myself. I'm in my major I need to start getting involved. And I had already got involved a little bit. I was in the university's programming board. Um, I was also in the Blue and Leaders for Social Justice. I was the first class um, that they created at Walsh. Um, And so I was in those programs. But obviously, after leaving and trying to get back to be in those was kind of hard. And so I was just like, okay, what's another way that I can get involved? And so really, I started changing like the friends I was hanging out with, trying to like really just establish myself. And because I remember actually having a conversation with one of my professors because I wasn't doing well in a class. And this is before I left for the army. I wasn't doing well with the, in a class. I was kind of just like, you know, lollygagging and doing whatever. And I remember my professor saying, there is a light in you and you need to see it for yourself. Like I need you to start doing things for yourself um, because your friends are not going to go with you Um if something were to happen, um, your family really won't go with you if something were to happen. And so you need to start seeing the light in yourself. And so to have people actually speaking life into me at that age has been the most, um, most profound, um, moment for my life. Like all the time when people are speaking life into me, because I mean, as always, we we're always doubting ourselves, right? Like, And so when you get those like one compliment after another, like that's like that motivation to be like, there are people watching me and um, actually care about how I'm doing in my life. And so when I did get back, I really just started building a relationship with that professor um, and like actually utilizing them as like a mentor and like asking them certain things about like, where should I intern? Should I intern this year? You know, like just asking small questions about that. Um, And then that year, me and another girl, Amy Gilmore, we actually ran for president and vice president of the student body. Um, 
to go into my junior year. And that year was just profound. I mean, if you know anything about like school politics or anything and just being in leadership in school, um, you have to work closely with the administration. And so when you're working closely with other adults and you're like the student, like there's just things that you know that you kind of have to carry yourself different. You got to like know um, the politics that are going on. And so we, I felt like I jumped from like a three to like an eight real quick um, as a student because I was just getting thrown into so many different meetings, having to advocate for so many different students, um, while also in a bunch of those GFA and history classes that are like opening up my mind to a world I didn't even realize existed. And so um, to really just get exposed, get exposed to like those type of leadership activities and the different things on campus. Um, that's where my growth hit for real. And then um, even in that, I became the vice president of the Black Student Union on campus as well. And so a lot of that was like advocating for diversity on campus. Because if you know anything about Walsh, like it is a predominantly white um, institution. And so um, to be in the leadership roles that I was in, like I knew I needed to use my voice um, because I was a minority holding a position that most minorities never held. Um, I was the very first vice president of the student body who was a black woman. And so that right there was even a phenomenal moment in my life because I had so many people looking up to me as a leader in that, um, in those situations. And so, um, just being able to have different platforms and, um, different opportunities to really speak my, um, speak my truth. Like it just, it allowed me to grow tremendously, but even in that, um, a lot of things were going on behind the scenes as well. Um, that year, um, of 2016 at the end of it, my aunt actually passed away. And as much as I was hurt and everything and really trying to process it, like I said, I'm strong in my faith. So, um, we knew her time was coming, but obviously to lose anyone is a, um, is a tragedy. And so to just be trying to finish school and go through school and to know like she wasn't going to see me graduate, that's what like hit home for me. But then like, that wasn't even the end of end of my story. My um, great uncle passed away the week after. Um, another uncle of mine that I was close with when I was younger passed away two months after. And then my ex-boyfriend from high school got shot and killed that April of 2017. And that's when my life literally turned upside down. Um, and it's like, it's a pain that never goes away. Like I, as much as I like grieve, like my aunt and, um, all of my loved ones passing away, but to have someone my age, our age to just lose their life to a, a senseless act, you, you can't come back from that. And so, um, I just like, that was a very, like, that was a turning point for me. And so, like I said, I was like advocating and like trying to do all these things in school. But then like at the same time, I just lost four people in a six month span and I'm 21. Like who, who can like go through something like that and come out um, good on the other side, you know? And so 
that's why I say like when I'm strong in my faith, like, man, it is by the grace of God that I'm even able to share this story without crying, that I'm even able to just be here to share this story because there were times that I did not want to be here after experiencing that. Um, there were times where it was attempted and I didn't want to be here after that. Um, and so, um, and like being in, I was in, obviously I'm in the military, right? So I'm in the military. And if, if you know anything about the military, it's about the mission. And so sometimes you kind of got to like turn that off and go do what you got to do, you know? And so to be able to process that and to still have to go and do the mission mentally, I was weakened. Like it was, it was a rough summer for me in 2017, but I did get to do an internship for my um, GFA major. And I was actually interning for the Stark County um, Family Court. And I was working with the juvenile probation um, office. And I remember talking to a 14 year old boy and I asked him, I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And mind you, there when my ex-boyfriend got shot and killed, there were two other people from our um, grade that actually um, had passed away the same year um, to similar incidents. And so the city of Canton was kind of going through it at this time. So, like, I'm already processing, like, what is going on? Um, what is happening right now? So I'm talking to this 14-year-old boy, and I'm asking him, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he looked at me and he said, Miss Serena, I'm not even going to make it to 18. So why does it even matter? And to hear those words come out of a 14 year old. Like there's what do you say to that? Why do you have that type of mindset already? And so there was something that God was like pulling on me that summer because mind you, I'm GFA, I'm history. So if you know anything about political science, go into politics. Um, so I'm thinking I'm about to go to Columbus, get a state job. And then eventually I'm moving my way up to go to DC. Like that was my dream. I wanted to be in Columbus. I wanted to work for the government. Um, but then like that summer, working with those kids, hearing that boy tell me that. And then when my ex-boyfriend got shot and killed, I just remember God saying, your mandate is not there. Your mandate is here. It's Stark County. You need to change it. Um, and it, and I, that was a profound moment for me, a profound like incident where I was just like, I went through all of this because my story needs to be shared with other young people who are going through the sim- similar situations. Um, and so that's when I really just, Um, When working with those youth, like really trying to pour into them. Um, I have a younger brother who did not graduate high school, who is currently incarcerated right now. He's only 22 years old, currently incarcerated and might be in until he's 32. And really, um, when you look at the things that he's gone through in life, like there's just incidents where like, was it his fault or was it things that were surrounding him and the opportunities that weren't there for him that really got him into the situation that he got mm-hmm. into? And so, um, yeah, I guess it wasn't it wasn't until I met actually my mentor, Miss Lori and Jan. I'm pretty sure you know her because that's actually how we kind of connected. 
um, she actually saw my post that I posted on Facebook about my ex-boyfriend when he got shot and killed. And she could just see my heart. She could see that I wanted to change the community. And then that's when we connected. And I found out about the work she was doing with United Way. And that was working with the high school students to get them um, jobs and internships and building up their own like social networks and um, their own uh, social capital, you know. And so um, when uh, after talking to her, she actually offered me to intern with her. And it was from that internship that I started to see Sir County is where I, I will be when I graduate. I needed to be here. I sat in meetings with um, the Canton Chamber of Commerce. I sat in meetings with Strengthening Stark. I sat in meetings, um, obviously, with United Way since I was working with them. Um, there were just so many different entities that I got to be in that like most people our age, they don't get to be in those type of meetings. I was always the youngest one in the room. And I was, and most of the time I'm always the youngest black woman in the room. And so um, to be in those spaces, I just remember God telling me like, you're in these rooms for a reason because you're needed in these rooms. They need your voice. And so, um, yeah, like just speaking up about my story and a lot of, what I talk about is just like when my ex-boyfriend got shot and killed, it just reminds me of just the lack of support that young people from the age of 18 to 25, we truly don't have. We're expected to be an adult as soon as we turn 18. Um, and if, and you know, it's the three E's, you're either employed, you're either enrolled or you're enlisted. You're going to the military, you're going to get a job, or you're going to school. And yep. my ex-boyfriend, he struggled with that. He had went to the Army, um, but it didn't work out. He had found, found some employment, but he didn't really want to go to college. And so for me, like that's like the story that I always talk about because I feel like, and mind you, it wasn't that he was in any type of gang-related or any type of things that made his life get taken in that manner. Um, but it was just the lack of not having true support around him and having the different opportunities around him. And that's something that I kind of always vouch for um, now, because I know that when I was 21, um, when I was 20, like I said, my college journey was a little rough. Um, if I didn't have people speaking life in me and people actually surrounding me and telling me that I was worth it and that I could actually be something, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be. Um, and so to be in a role that I was able to just see different leaderships come to life. And obviously I've been different places since working with United Way. And now I'm back at the Martin Center. I just know how vitally important it is to really speak life into our young adults. And we cannot expect them to just, you know, just jump into the real world without giving them the proper tools to even make it. Um, because I know that I did not have the proper tools until I had mentors and professors surrounding me and actually giving me um, the resources that they had to allow me to be where I am today. That's a lot to process, but 
I agree. I agree uh, with a lot of that. And actually, one of the last statements that you said, I actually was questioned on this not too long ago. I was talking to an individual and I they I posed the question that if there was something that you didn't like about yourself, what would it be and why? Why would you change it? Mm -hmm. And I said that I'm I'm generally very nice and probably too nice and I wait to see the best in people because in even to the fact that it 95% of the time comes around and bites me in the ass but I would never change that because I like that I am someone who is capable of always looking to the better end at the good in people mm-hmm. and the I didn't change it because I said that I would change it not because um I dislike it about myself but to spare my own feelings because I truly believe in like what you said um, with, with your journey and whatnot, that you wouldn't have been able to do a lot of the stuff that you set out to, to do or what you've done. If you didn't have somebody believing in you, mm-hmm. I truly think that people can do great things or change themselves or whatever it is. Um, and sometimes it just takes another individual to believe in that person. Yes. Uh, it's very hard to sit there and see the possibilities within yourself, uh, within your career or whatever, whatever it is that you aspire to do in your life. If you're the only one looking at it, mm-hmm. it's, it goes within the same realm of I bodybuild, but when I look in the mirror, I don't see what other people see. Very rarely do I catch a picture of myself and go, who the, who the hell is that? <laughs> when, I look, when I look at myself, that's not what I see because I'm always trying to chase something else. It becomes very daunting. You sit there and you think to yourself, well, why am I doing this? Why am I waking up early? Why am I spending all this money on food and gym and this and that and whatnot if I'm making no progress? And then all it does is it takes one person to snap a picture of me looking like a gorilla out of the corner of a picture to be like, holy shit, it's paying off. Like I, what I'm doing is actually, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and you know, constantly getting those reminders. And I guess for lack of a better term, uh, a refresher within your yep, own yep. mind from somebody who's removed from the daily situation can help a lot. So yep. giving, giving someone that inspiration to keep doing what they're doing or to pursue something that maybe they think shouldn't be pursued or, um, can do a lot for a person. It can do a lot just in the sense of getting them motivated to, to do that thing and keeping them engaged in what they want to do to go through anything like that by yourself. You're, you are your own worst enemy. You are the one that's going to drag, drag yourself down and eventually put a halt on whatever it is that you want to do. So that's why I say, just be nice. Don't, don't be too judgy and try to, look at what someone's doing and, you know, pigeonhole them into what they should do. Um, motivate them to do what they, they want to do because when people do what they want to do, they end up being far more successful at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Contemplator over there. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of points that I want <clears throat> to, that I'm going to dive down. And um, I really don't think that I've, had this serious of a tone since maybe our first episode. Uh, if you go back and for those of you that are listening to this now, when you listen to the first episode, I was a very, <clears throat> very rookie behind the microphone. It was definitely not as the vivacious of a personality as I am now, thanks to RJ. But you're welcome. <laughs> I do what I can. Um, <laughs> this, this, every time I hear Serena tell um, these 
stories, it really it rips up a lot of emotions for me. Um, because although you know I'm a, a white male um, from a you know a hick town school or whatever else, a vastly different childhood. Um, but there's actually one thing that I want to showcase with this is that um, despite the superficial perceived differences, how similar life experiences can be across people. Right. And so when me and Serena were talking about, you know, encountering um, subliminal prejudices or anything like that, you know, I, I have a mother, uh, an immigrant and very thick accent, um, you know, even after I can attest to that in the U S for 20 plus years. Um, and I vividly remember being a kid and, and hearing people make fun of her um, or like, um, you know, her encountering you know, different types of shenanigans at the grocery store, at the gas station, different places around. Um, and then her always, you know, being paranoid, being a, a homeschool mom that couldn't really speak good English. And um, like I go into high school and mispronouncing words and being made fun of for that. But it was for no fault of our own is just that's, you know, how my mom pronounced the word. And so the one that I always remember is Baton Raug instead of Baton Rouge. Um, you know, but there's, there's those little things and then it, it progresses beyond that. And, and being able to see that for my mother has always given me sympathy and, and being able to empathize with people that are treated like outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, but then with the youth, right? You, we have both had eerily similar experiences with 14 year olds or, you know, that, that young teenage population. Um, for me, I, I, um, the entire reason why I picked up a clinical psychology minor was because I had to take a class that I didn't want to take because the military um, forced me to take a break from school, take a semester off, um, which was un- like not necessarily really heard of in the nursing program. So I experienced kind of a similar thing, like you need to make sure that you stay on track, you know, are you going to even come back mm-hmm. after this? Um, and it was Professor Mustafega that reached out and I had a professor that I was stationed in Mississippi at the time and he took the time to register for my classes for me and like had my back throughout that entire process and if it wasn't for him I probably would have taken an even longer break from school because there's this thing at guard called AGR um, and there was an active guard reserve position available when I came back that I could have very easily just gone straight enlisted um, and made the military my career rather than going back to nursing school. But Professor Mustafega changed that for me. When I came back, I had to take a bunch of classes that were off point. You know, all of my friends continued throughout school. I had to stay back. And I took this course that required me to be a, um, to do observation at the Smith House, um, which is a drug abuse center um, for teens, young men, um, attached to the community corrections facility at Faircrest. So... I was there and uh, ended up loving it, got a job as one of the youngest people there to ever be. A, they called it a patient advocate at the time, a PA. Um, but I remember an encounter with this kid from Youngstown that was extremely similar. And I basically just kept asking him, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, what do you want to do? Uh, mm-hmm. And he was like, honestly, he was like, the only two paths that I really see are I either deal drugs and I can survive or I'm just going to take myself out of the equation. Wow. Uh, and 
people have heard me say this over and over again on different shows, but I've always, always said that throughout that job, I learned more from 14-year-old meth addicts than I ever have in a classroom about human, like what it means to be a human. Um, mm -hmm. And it's given me an extreme in-depth amount of gratitude for where my life is um, because I have also experienced days where I wanted to take myself out of the equation um, for a lot of stuff was self-imposed, you know, personal issues that I was dealing with, um, death in my family, my grandfather, other stuff along those lines. But the, to RJ's point, having people around that decided to push you, all it really takes is one person. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're in that place, you have three people here that you can reach out to um, that can be that light for you and can relate to you um, in me, Serena, and RJ. So my, to wrap all of that into, into this, you, you can't distill it down to a singular point. There's way too much there to, to unpack and to talk about it for hours. I want people to really realize that the amount of experiences that you have in your life, they're not linear. They know that, and there's no such thing as an exponential growth curve in life. There's no such thing as like constantly making progress. Um, I, it actually, like, I used to be one of those people that was like, you have to make, you have to be successful. You have to push yourself constantly. Um, and that's not feasible. It's not sustainable. It's not healthy. And I regret ever being the person that tells somebody to push themselves that way. Um, and RJ can talk about this in the weightlifting world. There are such things as rest days that are more powerful than days mm -hmm. that you push yourself. Um, mm -hmm. My wrestling coach all the time used to say that one day of rest can equal three days of practice if you need it. Mm -hmm. And you are correct. And telling, telling people that are listening to this to understand that it's okay. If you have to change majors, it's okay. If you're dealing with some shit and you need to take a step back and lean on somebody, it's okay. If you fail a course, it's okay. You're going to end up where you need to end up and you're going to experience some type of prolific moment. If you believe that you're, you're following your gut and because I think that we all have this internal compass, but we tend to stifle it out. Because too many people have told us that our internal compass is wrong because we think that we're nuts, right? If I could count mm -hmm. on, I can't even count how many times people have told me that Apex was batshit crazy, right? And, but my gut would not let me stop pursuing it. I've, I remember sitting on the tailgate of my truck bawling the one night in my field because I was, I woke up the one day and I was like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I mm -hmm. investing all this money? Why am I asking two close friends of mine to put money on the line and their time. You know, I, it was the day after Jacob Popio told me he was sacrificing, not going to med school to pursue this. I was like, mm -hmm. I'm affecting these people's lives. What am I doing? I, I don't want, I wish that I can, I shut this off. God, can you please like, just make me be normal. Like all of these people are happy with their jobs and, and a wife and a white picket fence and a house. Why are you pushing me? Like, why can't I turn this off? And I realized that, similar to you, that my mission is here. There's, I don't know what it is yet. I'm not sure exactly where it's supposed to end up. But for some reason, we're supposed to 
work together to change this community for the better. And that's, that's where I'm just going to leave that. I, uh, I could go on about stuff like that for hours, but I'll let you <laughs> my two cents. It's my turn. Yep. Um, I don't know what I'm supposed to be talking about. I, yeah, I think <laughs> that we're just kind of in a, we got deep there. Um, we did get so, deep. So uh, I guess like the next, the next, logical transition would really be um you know you experienced all of this stuff you had the people giving you light um you encountered the 14 year old kid um was that immediately after graduation or was that still within the college experience um yes okay so i'll get into that um yes so with working with that youth at the juvenile probation office um, that's when I got into my internship with Miss Lori with Get Connected. Um, and just seeing the light that goes off, um, when you're working with people younger than you, when you're just able to just tell them like one thing, um, that like just makes them feel proud of themselves, you know, um, you, you see it all the time. And so a lot of the kids that we worked with had similar backgrounds as mine, um, coming from a single parent household, um, growing up, um, on like welfare and WIC and the whole nine yards, you know, government assistance. Um, so like just to be able to relate to their experience, um, actually it empowered me more than I thought it would. Um, because I was so used to spaces like Marlington, used to spaces like Walsh, um, and I wasn't really around people who were like me. Um, I was always the one that had the the background of being the only one with a single mom. I was the only one that was on government assistance, you know. And so to be able to empower other youth to know that I've been in spaces where um, where like my voice mattered um, was just was just a phenomenal um, thing for myself and my own journey. And that was my last semester at Walsh. And Jan, like you're mentioning the military and the changing of plans, right? My last semester, I almost got deployed. Like they were trying to make me get deployed my last semester at Walsh. Um, and it was a stateside deployment because um, that was when the hurricanes were happening in uh, 2017. Um, but it was literally a professor of mine. He called the provost for me and let the provost know my situation. Um, and just the fact that I even had enough trust to call the professor and let him know what was going on. Because a lot of times, you know, when we're going through things, we kind of, we like, we kind of do it. Um, we try to handle it by ourselves, right? We don't really reach out and try to talk to anybody else about it. But I called him and I was bawling my eyes out. Like, you know how much um, Walsh has been to me and you know the journey that I've been through. Like, I can't not graduate. They can't deploy me right now. And I, you know, I'm processing all of this. And of course, like, I want to help and go um, be on the relief team. But at the same time, like, I also really want to graduate. Like I've been at it for the past four years. Um, and so um, him vouching for me, working with the provost and also working um, with the academic um, affairs um, VP, um, it just, 
it was phenomenal to see someone go to bat for me like that. And mind you, they're working with my professors to get me to do something online um, so that I could still graduate by the end of it. And I mean, what ended up happening is that I didn't need to get deployed because the hurricanes had died down. But that was a scary moment for me because I was two weeks of not knowing if I'm going to actually graduate. Like I just put all this money in. I'm thinking I'm going to have a job after I um, graduate, but I won't even have a degree. So the job wouldn't even accepted me. But um, to finish out my semester, like I finished it out strong and Yana, as you were talking about like your mother's, your mother's experience, um, it just made me think about the other part that I really haven't hit on is like when I got into my history classes and my GFA classes is um, I really got a new, um, a new passion for racial reconciliation. Um, because as a young black woman in the spaces that I was in, I noticed that people just lack simple education of how our history was even written. Like there's just a lot of things that people are just not aware of. And I don't know if it's the ignorance that they just don't want to go and learn it, or if it's blatant hatred or if it's shame, and I get why shame would be there, but at the same time, you have nothing to be ashamed about. Um, and that's one of the things that I will always vouch for is that I I know that a lot of people will say that they're not racist, but as a Black woman, I don't need you to not be racist. I need you to be anti-racist. I need you to be against racism at all costs. Um, and so... I like I truly like just understand when it comes to like just discrimination and prejudice um, because of how like just the history of America and just even the times right now, as you know it. Um, And that's something I'm very passionate about and I always speak on um, because especially as a Christian, as someone who's very strong in my faith, um, I know that the kingdom of heaven does not look like only white people. Um, it is um, it is full of people of different cultures. There's full of people speaking different languages. Um, there's full of people who have different skin colors. And so we have to be able to embrace that um, on multiple accounts in every, um, in every platform possible. And so I will always vouch for that as well. And so that like once I graduated, um, I had went into working with United Way for a year. And then following that, I ended up working with the University of Akron for a year as well. And then I ended up back at Walsh, actually. Shout out to the um, Career Center there. Um, I had ended up um, working with Walsh. And honestly, working with college students, I love because obviously I only graduated almost three years ago. And so I relate to them. I understand the trying to figure out career path, trying to figure out college life while also dealing with your family life, my whole entire story today. And so to be able to work with them and relate with them was always, was always a very, um, a very good experience for me. Um, But then I got offered this position out of nowhere and to run a community center, um, to follow a mission of racial reconciliation, to follow the mission of changing systems and um, changing um, practices was like something that I did not imagine having as a 25 year old now. 
Um, and so I've been in this role for the past five months and this role has just opened my eyes to a lot of things that our community is already doing. There are people and organizations who are doing phenomenal work. There are leaders who have been, who have been advocating for change for years and who have seen that change. Um, and so for me, I just want to add to that. I just want to be able to use my story, um, use my experiences, my knowledge and expertise to bring um, even more change. And I am like forever grateful um, that me and Jan connected because I knew it was a it was a divine connection mm. because like he said, our similar are we have very similar life experiences in a way if you really um look at it underneath the surface, you know? And so, um, I just know that young people like me, Jan and RJ who are in these spaces, who are talking about, um, just uplifting our community in general, it's just needed. We need more positivity, um, more than anything. And so I love my role at the Martin center and just to be able to connect with our youth, um, we have been doing multiple Zoom calls since um, the quarantine has happened. And so we are, we are having conversations that honestly, without the quarantine, we probably actually wouldn't have had. And so part of me is like grateful for it. But then at the same time, obviously, it has made a lot of changes for everyone and the circumstances are not good by any means, but just the way that we have been able to be innovative and connect with um, community members and our youth has been um, a phenomenal um, experience. And then to add to some of the things you and RJ were saying about just that um, having people to speak life into you and positivity to you, because people were doing that to me, I have found myself in multiple spaces of when I'm scrolling through social media and I see an old friend posting about something that's going on in their life, like I'm automatically reaching out, sending an encouraging mm. word. I have been doing that so many times. And I know we get so caught up in, well, I haven't talked to her in five years. We get so caught up in, oh, sh they're going to judge me if I say anything. They probably yep. won't listen. Each time that I've reached out to somebody, they're always like, that is exactly what I needed to hear. And that is what makes everything so worth it. Knowing that when I speak my voice and like really try to relate and just reach out to someone and encourage them, that just my small words are just helping them get through their day. That That's all that matters to me. And so, I mean, that's basically it for the most part. I mean, there's not really much more to say. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, honestly, that's, that I, that's a good way to end on it. Like that's, that was a perfect, perfect way to wrap everything up. I, um, me and RJ were kind of texting here a little bit cause that's what we do. I mean, even if we're in person, we always give guests a warning that we'll text each other. Um, and I was like, man, I wasn't expecting my eye sprinklers to almost turn on during this episode. <laughs> And uh, we got D. And uh, then he said, "Yeah, we got it. We got super emotional there. I felt it in my bones." <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's what I was really hoping that would happen, and I knew that it would happen on the episode, which is exactly why I didn't script it. Um, I didn't write down any bullet points. I didn't write down any type of of notes. Um, really, the only thing that I had on here was start with the Martin Center and end up back at the Martin Center. I had no idea what was going to happen in between. Um, Full circle. 
and and I I agree. And I'd like to just um, thank you for coming on. Uh, definitely for giving us like an hour and twenty minutes of your day. Um, it's extremely uh, honoring to to be able to have this conversation and to have it recorded. Uh, to be able to. We appreciate the time. Um, and then the the second half of that is that I definitely look forward to um, working with you in the future and changing a lot of things. Um, and not even necessarily changing, um, but maybe influencing, you know, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. light um, for people in the area. Uh, for, for those of you that, that want to um, potentially support Serena and what she's got going, Serena, why don't you um, let everybody know where they can find you or, or the Martin Clinic? Plug it. Yes. So um, I am on LinkedIn at Serena Draper Hendershot. You can follow me on there. And then um, to be able to support our efforts at the Martin Center, if you go to themartinfund.com, um, you can donate. We are always taking donations from um, supporters because we're a nonprofit. And so we just need people to support our youth because we are always trying to pour back into our community partners who are bringing the resources to us. So, um, yes, donate at the martinfund.com. Um, and yeah, find me on any social media platform under Serena Draper Hendershot. Perfect. And we will make sure that all of those details nice. are available in the description of this show. Um, so if you just scroll right on down, you'll be able to see all of the links to her social profiles. Um, RG, do you have any final words before we wrap up? Wash your damn hands. <laughs> <laughs> I love oh, it. Oh, man. Leave it to RJ to want to end on a light note. I love it. There you go. <laughs> I love oh, it. Oh, man. And that was that was the advantage of adding him to the scheme because he brought an entirely new dynamic of personality to the show. Um, so, as always, Apex Chasers, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to hang out with us today. Again, this has been an interview with Serena Draper-Hendershot, the Director of Outreach at the Martin Center on the southeast side of Canton. Um, I am your host, Jan Almasy. RJ Holiday is seated across the county from me. If you want to support us, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can go and subscribe to the show if you haven't already which shame on you if you're listening to this and you have not subscribed. I'm watching the statistics and I know if we're gaining subscribers or not. So do it. Click the button. Um, and if you want to support us in a financial way, you can go to patreon.com backslash the Apex podcast. Um, and we have donation tiers of 3 and $5. If you want to support us, you can get a cool sticker for your lap mug or whatever else you want to stick it on. That's the Apex logo. It's only available to our Patreon donors. So if you want to join that exclusive club, go ahead and sign up for as low as $3 a month. Other than that, I look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. Until next time, keep chasing that apex.